Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. It is called Kill Technology, the latest in rogue science coming out of the biotech industry. It stops a generation of species in its tracks. It provides the ability to, on demand, terminate life. Select a spot on the timeline to snuff it out. Now imagine a small explosive device planted inside plants or animals or even humans. A device that has been programmed to detonate at a certain point in time as determined by its external engineer. Well, that's basically what we're talking about here. Kill Technology is programming the premeditated eradication of genes to intentionally prevent the propagation and survival of a species and its future generations. It's the biotech version of genocide, gene genocide, determining what lives and what dies, and ultimately for the purpose of maximizing profit and obtaining even more control. The idea of gene terminator technology has been around for a while, and in fact the patents for it are currently owned jointly by both the USDA and Monsanto. That's right, the USDA co-owns the patents which provides Monsanto another means of protecting their intellectual property by genetically reprogramming seeds to self-destruct after just one planting. This means that farmers can harvest only one crop, If the farmer saves seeds and tries to replant them for another crop, the seeds just won't grow. They're sterile. So they are essentially forced to purchase new seed every year with a part of the profits going to the USDA. That is an obscene conflict of interest. A government agency that shapes policy in agriculture but stands to profit from it as well. This is why the U.S. government is so supportive of Monsanto's pursuit of agricultural markets around the world. In fact, Terminator technology was developed mainly for this purpose. As its inventor Melvin Oliver states, quote, The Terminator technology primarily targets second and third world markets in effect, guaranteeing intellectual property rights in countries where patent protection is weak or non-existent, end quote. It is another method of control. Unlike in the U.S., where Monsanto can pursue litigation against farmers who intentionally or unintentionally replant GM seeds, through the use of Terminator technology, they can force small farmers in countries around the world into dependence by giving them no choice but to purchase Monsanto seed year after year. Saving seeds to plant the following year's crop is a customary practice in many foreign farming cultures and is actually economically necessary. But by Monsanto intentionally creating this dependence, It has caused major disruption in communities around the world. 
communities that we don't always hear about in the mainstream news, like the plight of India's cotton industry, which has experienced an unprecedented number of small farmer suicides due to the mounting debts and loss of property, or the outcry of farmers in South America and Mexico. These are things I talked about in more detail on last week's show. And as for the United States, well, there is already a climate of dependence that exists between farmers and Monsanto here in this country, where farmers are bound by legal contracts. Since patent laws are so strictly enforced here, Monsanto is protected as they pursue farmers for patent violations when a field is contaminated with GM seed. And, of course, as we already know, any non-GM crop that is contaminated with a genetically modified version becomes the legal property of Monsanto. Just ask the over 300 American and Canadian farmers that have already been sued by Monsanto over this very same issue. Now, none of this means that the Terminator technology won't become the standardized norm here. Depending on the outcome of the latest Supreme Court hearing on the issue of farmers' rights to replant GM seed, if the court rules in favor of the farmer, many think that Monsanto will likely implement the Terminator technology here as a legal avenue of maintaining control and farmer dependence. And by the way, there is nothing to prevent them from doing this. They already have the endorsement of the USDA, who share the patents. But now in saying that, a similar technology has already been in practice here for some time. It's the technique of engineering sterility into specific plants for instance, in producing hybrid crops like maize. But what makes Terminator technology different from this is that it is nonspecific and can be moved easily from one species to another. And this makes it very easy to apply to an entire portfolio of GM products. Because this packaged technology can destroy any plant's reproduction process, it creates the threat of contaminating plants it was not intended for, including trees and others. Also, by its functioning mechanism of killing the embryo of the next generation seed, as it induces a toxin, anyone eating the edible part of a plant treated with this will also be consuming the terminator toxin. And that's not a good part of any recipe. What if some of our major crops become sterile and can no longer reproduce because of this? What if it affects our bodies in similar ways? It's hard to understand how these kinds of real threats to public safety can be either ignored or justified. It's hard to understand how companies like Monsanto continue to remain above the law in controlling the very governmental policies and agencies it is supposed to abide by. The whole topic of terminator or kill technology is much more disturbing and much broader than we know. Variations of it exist in the practice of gene silencing, which is the switching off of specific genes or gene combinations to achieve some kind of result. For example, field tests are being conducted right now, mainly in Australia, to develop various gene silencing in wheat, which happens to be the second largest cash crop in the world today. The idea is to engineer genes in wheat to turn off undesirable expressions permanently and then sell this improved version commercially. But here's the fundamental problem and case in point. The particular gene sequence scientists are trying to silence in wheat happens to be a perfect match for a human gene sequence known as GBE, which is absolutely critical in the process of glycogen storage. In fact, children deficient in this tend to die by the age of five, and adults experience a whole host of physical problems from cognitive impairment to quadriplegia. So by silencing a target gene sequence in wheat, by eating the modified wheat, we will also risk silencing the same gene sequence found in our bodies. Some scientists claim that because the human digestion process is so extreme in its acidity, 
that genes wouldn't survive anyway if ingested. While this is true in many cases, the way this particular GM silencing is carried out, it is in an exceptionally resilient form known as double-stranded RNA. Professor Jack Heinemann of the University of Canterbury, who published a report on gene silencing in wheat, described GM wheat as being remarkably stable, enough to withstand high heat cooking temperatures and human digestion. And as such, the altered genes are able to enter our bloodstream and potentially silence our genes. In this case, the critical human GBE gene sequence. Let's not forget that we're dealing with genetic information here too, and that by its very nature, this information can and will be passed on to our children, becoming part of their bodies, and so on and so forth through the generations. I'm not talking about all this for the sake of scare tactics and drama. This is actually going on right now. This is happening. This is what we're talking about. This is the fear. To me, for scientists and corporations to even consider commercializing wheat with unnaturally silenced genes is utterly irresponsible, to put it mildly. But for them to do this knowing that it has a very good chance of silencing genes in humans as well is morally reprehensible. Well, this terminator or kill technology isn't only being used on seeds. It's being applied to animals as well. Right now, there are biotech companies looking at ways to use this technology to eradicate pest species. So instead of using pesticides and traditional methods of pest control, the idea is to genetically modify the pests themselves right out of existence to force their extinction. Here's how the technology works on a basic level. A biotech company puts terminator or kill genes inside males of the target pest species, like the diamondback moth, for instance. When the males mate with the females of the species, their offspring inherit the gene and die before they become adults. Several biotech companies are involved with developing and implementing this technology. They're wanting to eliminate cane toads in Australia, brown rats in Norway, diamondback moths in British Columbia, and now certain species of mosquito. Where does it end? The USDA has also been testing genetically engineered pests like the Mediterranean fruit fly and the cotton-eating pink bollworm in an effort to eradicate them. In fact, over 20 million genetically engineered bollworms have already been released throughout the United States in the effort to propagate this technology and eradicate them. And these are only a few of a growing number of target pests around the world. The thinking is, instead of using normal modes of pest control, let's genetically engineer our way out of the immediate problem. But we could be genetically engineering ourselves into a more profound problem, one that we may not be able to reverse if things go wrong. One of the main biotech companies specializing in this technology is Oxitec. That's a British company which is responsible for creating the GM bullworm currently being tested by the USDA and now primarily breeds genetically modified mosquitoes with the aim of eliminating them in certain regions. In 2009, they released millions of their GM mosquitoes in the Cayman Islands to secretly study the effects over the span of more than a year. But they didn't bother informing the locals until after the trial was complete. Later, they did the same in Malaysia and then Brazil. In fact, they're now pushing hard for the FDA to allow them to release millions of GM mosquitoes in Key West, Florida, in an attempt to bring the species there to extinction. They want to do it even against the protest of local residents and scientists actually living there, who are worried about the unanticipated effects that may occur. The truth is, no one quite knows what will happen to an ecosystem that suddenly loses one of its species. 
it's much more complex than we realize. One thing hinges on another in ways we have no concept of. In the case of Key West, suppose a worse mosquito species takes over, like the Asian tiger mosquito, one of the most invasive species in the world, or a new strain develops that is unaffected by pesticides or other means of control. There is also the possibility that GM mosquitoes might interact with human populations more than thought, infecting hosts with modified genetic material just as they have done with malaria and other diseases. We are out of our depths here. We are playing with fire, folks. Now let me rephrase that. Biotech companies are playing with fire, while the rest of us are left to stand by while they play with our ecosystem, human health, human lives, and our evolutionary process. All in the pursuit of profit. How do we have the right, or where do we find the wisdom to do something like this? What makes us believe that we have the foresight to decide what species live or die? Nature has conducted itself for millions of years, evolving and shaping the way for the future, to make room, to make way for us. Every plant and animal species has made its way through the ages to be where it is today, how is it that we, in this small sliver of time, are entitled to now change this majestic process just because we're annoyed or inconvenienced or it's interfering with our profit? Most of us wouldn't miss mosquitoes for one minute, but that's really not the point. If we commit gene genocide and use this terminator or kill technology to eradicate mosquitoes, moths, rats, fruit flies, bullworms, this, that, and the other thing, where does it end? At what point do we stop eradicating life? Would it develop into an addiction or a process we take for granted? Or would it become compulsive, like trimming our outside hedges just a bit too much in our pursuit for perfection? Once it's gone, it's gone. Once altered, it is forever altered. And we are not gods. We are not in charge of the mystical process known as the creation of life. And we are making decisions to profit today on what tomorrow's generations will be left to pay for. That will be our legacy to the future. I wholeheartedly believe we are treading a dangerous path here, my friends. Research continues and tests are conducted behind a curtain, and the ever-revolving door between our federal government and high-position Monsanto employees is alarming. So who knows where things really are at this point in time? One thing we're sure of, though, is that large corporations, along with our government, are not necessarily forthright when it comes to information that could affect the public negatively. Using GM technology as a solution for inconvenient problems is becoming more and more accepted and would likely branch into other applications. For example, eugenics, which is the idea of improving the genetic composition of a population by selective breeding, is now poised to be manipulated at the gene level. In fact, it's already going on. Although right now, genetic manipulation of human embryos is encouraged in preempting disease and other health afflictions, it is increasingly being used for the selection of a person's sex for social reasons or cosmetic traits like eye color, hair color, and skin complexion. What's disturbing is that these practices are gaining more and more acceptance by our society. Soon we will be able to select intelligence, personality, and other physical traits. In short, pre-order the ideal child. We have the technology, but how will we use it? How should we use it? In wrapping this discussion up, you know, this was the premise of the movie Gattaca, 
a future society driven by liberal eugenics where children are selected through genetic manipulation to ensure they possess the best hereditary traits of their parents' choosing. In the movie, a genetic registry database is used to instantly identify and classify those who are genetically superior from those who aren't. And from this, there is a genetic discrimination that occurs. Those with enhanced genes are privileged. They qualify for professional employment, leading productive lives, while normal people are considered a lesser quality and relegated to menial jobs. I use this as an example to illustrate the point that we are not far off from this. And what about kill gene technology and all of this? Well, it has some pretty nasty implications. What happens when the wrong individuals decide to use this technology to target a group of human beings? How will we ever justify the implementation of this irresponsible science when it is one day used as a weapon to eradicate people, just as we are using it to eradicate bullworms and moths? It's known that different races of people have genetic traits that are unique to them. Wouldn't it then be possible to target different ethnic groups, to eradicate a group of people because we decide they are subordinate or unworthy to live? It may sound like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. This course is a very real possibility, and let us not fool ourselves into believing we would never do it. We would. History has shown us that. And what Monsanto and the rest of the biotech industry are doing today confirms it. And on that note, we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And we'll begin this evening with Jolene Alvarez, who writes into the show and says, No offense intended, I keep hearing the argument that if GM foods are so bad, why aren't we facing the health problems that the anti-GMO people are always talking about? We've been eating it in this country since the 1990s, so what's the problem? Is this all a bunch of hype? Well, hi, Jolene. Thanks so much for writing into the show, and don't you worry, no offense taken. Um, but listen, you know, that is the position lots of pro-GMO arguments are taking. But we have to consider a couple of things. First, there are legitimate studies that have been done, all showing the same extreme physical problems in rats that were fed strict GM diets. These studies, uh, you know, are not hype. The results of these studies uh, are undeniable, well-documented, and conducted by credible and respected scientists, despite, you know, what Monsanto may have us believe. But the interesting and, and really frightening thing is that the severe physical effects like cancers and organ failure didn't surface until the third generation of rats. And that is a very significant point that we need to keep in mind. There appears to be a delay between the time GM foods are regularly consumed and when the severe effects start to show up. So if we transpose our life cycles with those of the rats in these experiments, it strongly suggests that it is our grandchildren who will be the ones experiencing the real effects of the GM foods that we are consuming today. And that is such a terrifying thought. If the science is correct, we will likely see major problems within the next decade or two. But keep in mind, we're already seeing strong correlations between digestive problems in the U.S. and GM food consumption, conditions that began in the early 2000s and has been on the rise ever since, uh, and, and vast increases in all sorts of other ailments. So we should all move forward with caution and not disregard the concern over GM foods based on what we see in the here and now. And remember, 
mega biotech com- uh, corporations like Monsanto stand to lose profits if the science says their products are unhealthy. Just remind yourself of the tobacco industry uh, years back and ask yourself, you know, who you believe. So um, thanks so much for your for your uh, comment and thanks for writing into the show, okay? And Michelle Vogel writes in and says, love the show. I wanted to make a comment about sweeteners, artificial ones that is. I know that aspartame is GMO, is that correct? And that Splenda is not, but I'm confused on stevia. Is that a GMO product? I've heard conflicting information on it and wanted to know if you could share anything you know about it. Thanks. Well, hi, Michelle. I welcome your comments. Thanks so much for writing in with a great question. I think a question that an awful lot of people have. You are absolutely right in what you state about aspartame and Splenda. Aspartame, as you may already know, was produced by our friends at Monsanto for many years before they sold it in 2000. But it is a GM-containing product. Now, Splenda is not a GM product, but still does have some negative aspects to it. Stevia is an actual plant that grows mainly in South America, and its full-leaf form is still not approved by the FDA. They say that it raises health concerns. But a derivative of Stevia, known as Truvia, is approved by the FDA. What's the difference between Stevia and Truvia? Well, you're right in that it's kind of conflicting information, because Truvia is a GM product. A lot of people don't know that. It is a genetically modified part of a stevia plant that has been commercialized here in the U.S. So why is the FDA okay with it? Well, that's up for debate. Um, It seems strange, though, that no conclusive evidence shows stevia to be a risk. So it makes one wonder if political pressure from biotech corporations like Monsanto come into play here. Uh, We already know that Monsanto and the FDA have similar interests. Uh, It could be that the FDA is favoring U.S. corporate success to a healthy sweetener alternative. Uh, You know, would the FDA's tune change if stevia in its pure form could be monetized by U.S. corporations? Um, It's hard to say, but it sure makes you think, doesn't it? Thanks for writing into the show. And Ellen Gruen writes in and says, Hi, with all the GMO flying around in the air, what are we supposed to do? Wear white chemical suits. Seriously, we live in a farming community where I'm pretty sure they grow GMO crops. I only know this because I have farmers and neighbors complaining about Monsanto meddling with their soy. Seriously, would wearing a face mask be a protection against this stuff? Hi, Alan. Thanks for your comment. The image that came to mind with your description of the chemical suit is kind of humorous, but I certainly get your point. Uh, Ashley, though, you should be more worried about breathing the herbicide chemicals in the air uh, rather than GMOs. Um, so to address your more serious question, yes, you you might actually want to look into breathing protection of some sort if you're downwind from your neighbor's spray. Definitely stay indoors if spray is in the wind and make sure you turn off air intake like air conditioners. Uh, herbicides are potentially very hazardous if you're not protected. You know, I don't want to sound overdramatic here, but your question is a good one, a, r- a really, really important one for people who are living near farms with this kind of activity going on. So protect yourself. Thanks for writing into the show. And David Breyer writes in and says, how does the government explain how they can have people that worked at Monsanto now come and work for them? I just can't make sense of that. I recently heard about the revolving door you talk about and about fell over. With that Michael Taylor now in the FDA, is this really the case? It can't be. I know there are others too, but are we talking just a handful or a dozen? I was wondering how extensive this all really is. It seems unbelievable that something so blatant like this could happen. Are we really that snowed? This is our government. 
Well, hi, David. Thanks so much for writing into the show. It is unbelievable. What you bring up is a very disturbing aspect to this whole topic. It is true that not just a handful of people have passed from Monsanto to the government or vice versa. The number is closer to 35, and that is just those who have worked in both camps. The actual influence of Monsanto reaches much deeper and is actually the root cause to much of the mounting distrust about this whole industry. It's not new that big corporations have had too much control in governmental machinery, but this is absolutely unprecedented. It really is. It is unbelievable. Monsanto reaches to the highest levels in all departments of uh, the government, not just the FDA or USDA. Uh, and we know this by those who are appointed to position that only the president can allow. The revolving door analogy is pretty fitting, though, because it does give the image of a steady flow back and forth and for positions of power that shape policy and regulations. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me that it has become so outrageous that it is almost accepted in the public eye. It's it's unbelievable and, and despicable. Um, you know, so I, I do understand where you're coming from, believe me. Thanks for writing into the show. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. The website has just been redesigned, so go and take a look, sign the guest book, and check back for some other really great stuff coming along. Your voice really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. And this show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come give a like and join it at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad. The show is also brand new on Twitter, so feel free to follow at www.twitter.com slash GMO Mad Science. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, April 16th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named In the Absence of Ethics. The biotech industry has used its technology to produce a variety of products using combinations of genetic material between plants, animals, and even humans, some of which cross the ethical line. This program will investigate the history of current products and practices going on in the biotech world and how some of the seemingly innocuous creations may give insight to the mind frame of the industry. I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. <laughs>